Good morning, City Church. Uh, thank you for inviting us into your home. Uh, how I wish that uh, we could gather together in person and just enjoy uh, the communion of the saints and uh, the fruit of spiritual encouragement that come uh, from gathering together in the same place. Uh, a special welcome to the kids of City Church. Uh, I love you. I miss you. I miss getting to see you guys uh, run around and fellowship on Sunday mornings, and I can't wait until we get to uh, meet together in person again. Uh, but for the time being, I'm so thankful for uh, just these digital resources and being able to gather together across the city in this way as well. Um, I really uh, want to encourage you during this time to, uh, uh, as Scripture says, not neglect uh, just gathering together, even if that's only digitally during this time, uh, discipleship groups meeting online. Uh, one of my favorite things that Sari and I have been able to take part in has uh, been uh, the prayer meetings uh, throughout the week. Uh, those have been a huge blessing to us. We're going to have a few equipping things that come down the pipeline too, and so I just want to encourage you to continue gathering together, uh, if only digitally during this time. Well, you, you previously heard the reading uh, from John chapter 6. We're going to uh, expound on that here in just a second. But if you would, uh, please pray alongside of me. God and Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather around your trusted word. We pray that you would make it as real to us this morning as if Jesus was here speaking it to us in person. Would we treasure it? Would we learn what it means? And by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, be equipped to live it out. And Lord, these uh, prayers are so big. And so we, uh, we pray for them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, uh, scriptures are filled with times of calamity, with times of great distress. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but uh, scripture is uh, filled with things like uh, plague and famine, uh, wars, um, it's filled with, uh, with grievous poverty. It's uh, even filled with, um, at times, excruciating suffering. All of those things are present in the context of Scripture. So I believe that that would make it impossible, I think, to read God's Word and come away uh, thinking that God is indifferent about or that He doesn't concern Himself with or that He doesn't work mightily maybe even miraculously, amidst time of great distress. So I, I don't know if that's encouraging for you, but what it tells me is, is that God cares. He is present and He provides. For many of us, I know uh, this morning, we need to not just uh, hear that and know it intellectually, but feel it in our hearts. And so I've been praying uh, that for you for uh, this week. Uh, so I hope that that is something that God accomplishes. But when, when we talk about times where God provides, uh, like I've already mentioned, He a lot of times that, uh, does that very miraculously. He works miraculously in times of great distress. So, so many times His provision is miraculous. So I wonder if uh, us knowing that as Christians, if, if you actually have spent time this week praying or even expecting God's miraculous provision. Have you? I wonder if maybe even a, a little level deeper, uh, maybe you have been wondering whether or not He is present or whether He cares about you or your family or this world. 
I hope that John chapter 6 helps maybe even uh, answer that. If you're like me, honestly, maybe you know in your mind that He is present, that He cares, and that He's capable, but if uh, you looked at the anxieties of your heart or, uh, for me, uh, my bent towards self-reliance, you would actually see that underneath all of that, in some sense, is a subtle skepticism that He will actually work miraculously. What I, I think that we get from uh, times in Scripture is, is that in moments of calamity, we as human beings need a miraculous salvation. I, I've been tempted uh, to believe that miraculous salvation will come almost uh, from anywhere other than God over the last few weeks. I've been very distracted. I've been tempted to believe that miraculous salvation for the economy will come by way of politicians, uh, maybe even a, um, <clears throat> a stimulus bill. I've been tempted to believe that miraculous salvation and even physical healing will come by way of research and development labs or by the CDC medical professionals or even a little bottle of Purell, that that's how I'm going to be miraculously saved. I've been tempted to believe that miraculous salvation of the relationally and materially vulnerable in our society will come through the work of the hard work of Good Samaritans rather than directly from the hand of God. I've been tempted to uh, have anxiety about those things. Uh, But in John chapter 6, I think that Jesus gives us the antidote to the miraculous salvation from calamity. And what we find is is that uh, it's not some government program. It's not uh, the hard work of good Samaritans. It's not even the able hands of a medical professional. What Jesus says uh, saves us is a person, and it's himself. So so this morning, what I think we discover is is that Jesus miraculously saves us from spiritual calamity. There's a couple of pieces there. Jesus miraculously saves us from spiritual calamity. The context of Jesus' famous statement that we read a few short minutes ago, I am the bread of life, happens amidst a lot of miraculous signs and wonders. But for the first six chapters of John, Jesus is traveling around uh, healing people, and a crowd kind of comes and moves towards him. Uh, he uh, seeks to escape that crowd, so he uh, w- uh, walks out on the water uh, during the min- uh, midst of a tempest, and the disciples are on a boat, and they're almost being overcome by the waves. And Jesus goes there, comforts them, and uh, uh, miraculously teleports them immediately kind of into safety. Uh, Jesus is doing some really miraculous things. So I I wonder, um, you know, I I said earlier that I wonder if you've been praying for miracles to happen. I know that surely not all of us have been praying for miracles because whether uh, certainly somebody literally this morning doesn't necessarily believe in miracles or just uh, practically Uh, We live a life that isn't expectant of miracles, that effectively we just kind of don't believe that they still happen. Uh, I wonder if you've heard people in our context here in the Christian culture of Texas uh, talk about miracles and ask for miracles almost in a silly or sing-songy way, and that that's kind of turned you off of even asking for miracles. Uh, But At the end of the day, we have to um, come to terms with the fact that Jesus is doing them. So I wonder if you believe that Jesus was doing the impossible. 
Earlier in chapter 6, and this is going to be relevant for him talking about him being the bread of life, uh, Jesus has this large crowd that's gathered together. And at that time and day, they only uh, counted uh, the heads of households. So there would have been uh, single men and women and children that were there, uh, but, uh, but they were counting about 5,000 families that were there gathered uh, alongside Jesus. And uh, it was noticed that there was no uh, bread or anything like that for them to eat. And Jesus is asked, uh, you know, how they're going to provide uh, for uh, all of these people. And a small boy is ushered forward. Uh, you probably know the story. He just has a few loaves of bread, a few fish, and Jesus miraculously breaks those. And as he breaks them, they multiply. And they multiply so much that they go out and feed all of these people that are there. It was a truly miraculous event. I wonder if you believe that that literally happened. The crowds believed that it was literally happening because they were following him, uh, because they knew that he was different. They knew that something was happening, that a prophet had come. As Christians, I think we tend to think of miraculous signs in kind of two ways, specifically the miraculous signs of Jesus in two ways. We tend to either think of it as an extraordinary suspension of the normal order of things. So it's almost like these extraordinary times where the normal order of life is kind of broken and God kind of interrupts that normal order of things. The, the second way that we think of uh, Jesus' miracles in particular is that they were a display of his power and authority in order to authenticate him as the Messiah, to, to show that he was actually divine, that he was God. Those are kind of the two ways that I think we think of uh, miracles in, uh, as Christians today. Uh, both of those things, I think, are, uh, um, are legitimate. Uh, But I think that there may be a better way of thinking about them, or at least another way. Uh, This was not just a display of his power and authority, but also what his power and authority were for. Well, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, If Jesus was just trying to display his power and his authority to prove that he was the God of this universe, uh, you can kind of think of some things that would be far more impressive than the things that he did. He could have uh, literally moved a mountain. He could have called uh, legions of angels to bow down and uh, proclaim his deity in front of everybody for all to see. He could have uh, flown around uh, such that people might see him uh, under his own power flying around. Certainly for the creator of this universe, that would have been nothing, but he doesn't really do that. Uh, Rather, what he does is he uses his power and authority to miraculously heal and restore. If we think about it, Jesus's power was used to restore broken things. It was a restoring power. Therefore, instead of thinking about Jesus's uh, miracles as being a suspension of the normal order of things, you can almost turn that inside out and think about it as a restoration of the normal order of things. Jesus was uh, using his power to miraculously uh, heal people of blindness, to, uh, to keep people safe from danger, to ally fears uh, to feed in this case. Um, what Jesus was trying to do was show what uh, the redeemed world was going to, is going to look like or to uh, show us what life in the garden when we had perfect communion with God was like. 
So the miracles of Jesus aren't a suspension of the normal order of things, they're a restoration of the normal order of things. And, and, and if we uh, take it that way, I think that we don't just get that this was an extraordinary um, you know, uh, restoration of the normal order of things. I think that we get to see that uh, Jesus works in these miracles uh, in ways and, uh, and desires for restoration in ways that should impact us today. So I wonder if in the midst of all of this, you're expecting a sign. Maybe uh, even in the midst of your prayers of asking for uh, Jesus to miraculously work, you uh, think to yourself, where, where is our sign? Uh, where is our miracle? How is God going to display uh, his miraculous salvation to me and to my family? Maybe you have a specific idea of what God's miraculous salvation might look like. Maybe at, uh, at present, um, you know, you've lost a job and uh, you have need of financial provision. And so you're desperately praying that God would miraculously uh, provide for you financially. Uh, maybe just the thought of illness entering your home has caused you to pray daily that uh, God would uh, keep the sickness out of your uh, home away from your children, away from your parents, away from your grandparents, and you're asking for God's miraculous salvation from uh, illness. Maybe you're simply wanting God's miraculous uh, salvation to come by way of getting uh, you back to work and your kids back to school, and that's what you're praying for. I think that Jesus anticipates some of this, and in verse 26 through 27 says this, Truly I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So all of these people were uh, coming to Jesus, and what he's specifically saying back to them is, hey, you're not seeking me, you're seeking for me to meet your needs. You're not wanting me, you're wanting what I can give you by way of, uh, especially in this case, a temporary satisfaction of hunger. That's the kind of salvation they were looking for. In fact, you can know that by looking at verse 31. They say, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. They, they go on to say that Moses gave them the bread. So uh, it's almost like they're saying, this is the kind of salvation that we need. We want to see a sign. We want to see a miracle fill our bellies, meet our physical needs. And what Jesus is saying is, you don't desire me, you desire what I can give you materially. So uh, I wanna ask you, what type of miraculous salvation are you looking for? What type of miraculous salvation are you looking for? Examine your prayers, examine your thought life, and maybe if you're so bold, even just say it out loud. What, what is it? that miraculous salvation would look like for you in this moment. Jesus says to the crowd in verse 32, Truly, truly, not Moses, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And here's what's interesting. The people responded to this, and they responded to it in a way that I still don't think that they got it. If they did, they wouldn't, at the end of all of this, end up, most of them, leaving Jesus. They responded, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. The, the, the people are still craving something. 
They still have pangs in their belly and they're asking Jesus to give them the bread from heaven, but I still think that they're asking to satisfy a physical need. However, what I hope is, is that this creates pangs and cravings in our soul where we are prepared now to go to verse 35 that was read earlier and hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. You see, what Jesus is saying here is really profound. He's saying there is no other sign. There is no other miracle. There's no group of miracles that will satisfy you if that's what you're looking for. I am the one thing that satisfies, Jesus says. The one thing that brings life. The one thing that saves. You remember when I said earlier that the Bible is rife with uh, plenty of examples of catastrophe? Here's, here's what I want for us to get. There was no moment in all of human history, in all of the Bible, more catastrophic than Genesis 3, when man fell into sin. An earthquake may kill uh, hundreds of thousands of people. An evil man, a dictator, might kill millions of people. A world war might kill tens of millions of people. But man's fall into sin demolished and obliterated and annihilated billions, billions of human souls. It was the one most catastrophic thing that has ever happened. Jesus is God the Father's miraculous provision for salvation amidst spiritual catastrophe, the greatest need that we've ever had. Jesus is God the Father's spiritual provision for the catastrophe that has happened in the human soul. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The feeding of the 5,000 is the uh, only miracle that I can think of apart from the resurrection uh, that's included in all uh, four of the gospel accounts. It's the only one that's in all four of them. And, and I think that it's there because the Holy Spirit is, is wanting us to know that, uh, the, that God will provide for our needs. In fact, he'll not just provide for our needs, he'll provide for them abundantly. Remember that in that story, after everybody had eaten their fill, uh, Jesus told the 12 disciples to go and collect what was left over, and they came back with 12 huge basketfuls, enough left over for the disciples. The Holy Spirit really wants us to know that God the Father will provide and provide abundantly, but Jesus here in his teaching wants to make crystal clear the primary need he was sent to provide for. In all circumstances, disciples of Jesus can rejoice knowing that eternal life is ours. Why? Because Jesus did not come primarily as a guide or to show us the way or to uh, introduce us to new rules for living or even to give us comfort amidst things that happen on this earth that are 
uh, very uncomfortable, that induce great suffering. Jesus didn't primarily come to do that. He came to be our bread, our life, eternal. As we um, head towards Good Friday in a couple of weeks, as we uh, frankly long for the day where we get to back together and we get to take uh, communion together as one body, uh, I I want to uh, remind us that the bread of life was broken. Jesus entered into our catastrophe, physically dying on the cross. Our God has experienced the sickness of this world. And, and, and ultimately, the sickness of this world um, caused him to die. Jesus did this to save us, to miraculously resurrect us, these verses say, and to give us eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why Jesus being the bread of life is such good news to us, because he will ultimately satisfy the greatest need that we have. He is our miraculous salvation from spiritual catastrophe. So, so how do we apply this in our present circumstances? Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, uh, church, I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, Sawyer and I are still trying to uh, adjust to this new normal of life, homeschooling our kids. Uh, We're still trying to figure it out, figure out what uh, marriage in the midst of all of this looks like, uh, figure out what um, uh, discipleship looks like and being friends looks like and just uh, provision looks like. We're trying to figure all of that stuff out. But it's almost as if um, Jesus anticipates this. And and in verse 28, if you'll look with me there, the people ask, what must we do? It's the perfect segue to application. What what must we do? And Jesus' answer, at least for me and I hope for you this morning, is so freeing because it's not a list of things to go and do. Uh, Verse 29, Jesus says this, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Believe that Jesus is the bread of life that saves us, satisfies us, and gives us life eternal. I'm excited this morning to uh, report to you guys that, uh, that, that God is answering our prayers for a revival. And he's doing it amidst our children, our kids. I've gotten the uh, great pleasure this week of being on the phone with a couple of different parents that have seen new life in their children, that that literally have seen uh, their children believe in whom he has sent. And I'm excited. I'm expecting more. So, so what I hope this morning is that you are encouraged by that, that you are seeing answered prayers even in the midst of great difficulty, and that you yourself are able to experience in a profound way that Jesus is the bread of life. So be encouraged, beloved body of Jesus. Um, pray with me. Psalm 73, verses 25 through 26 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father God, um, in the midst of grievous circumstances, we can ask uh, this question alongside the psalmist. Whom have we in heaven but you? You are the greatest reward. 
Jesus is the bread of life, and he gives us eternal life to be with you forever. Father, we believe that this morning. There is nothing on earth that we should decide uh, or desire besides you. Um, so, Father, we ask that you would give us uh, strength in our hearts and that you would uh, allow for Jesus to be our portion forever. Uh, Father, we pray these things in your great grace and in Jesus' name. Amen.